Our annual Harvest Festival is here. Join us Saturday, October 30th from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. This is a great opportunity to invite your friends and family. Join us out on the patio so you can get some flyers to pass out. We'll have games, bounce house, photo booth, and more. We hope to see you there. Did you know that La Jolla Community Church has a preschool? We have been here for about 35 years. We share space and event like Harvest Festival. In the past 18 months, we have a lot of ups and downs, but our teachers' commitment and their heart for teaching and the love of Jesus have drawn a lot of family to send their kids in our care. Many of them are not Christians, but they know that we teach Bible every day. This is literally mission field in our own backyard. We covet your continuous prayer as we seek more students to come and as we hire more qualified Christian teacher. Thank you all for your support and prayer. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to La Jolla Community Church. I hope everyone's having a great morning so far. Now, if you're able and would like to stand, we're going to get started in some worship. Oh God, now. 
teach my son to rise to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand out for Jesus, you're my hope and stay. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. Jesus, you're my hope and stay. Today I read your words recorded in Acts 1. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. We worship you and praise you, Father God, for who you are, so faithful and true, our deliverer, our defender, holy in righteousness, giver of every good and perfect gift. We confess, Father, that we have often ignored or misused the spiritual gifts that you have given us through the Holy Spirit. We ask your forgiveness and that we be cleansed of all unrighteousness. We ask that you would awaken and activate these gifts in each believer that we may build up other believers. Call our hearts to serve you, Lord, that we may experience joy and growth and trust within our community. Thank you that we don't have to do anything on our own except say yes, Lord, because you will equip and enable and make connections so that we can move forward together in unity, each utilizing our different gifts, embracing the kingdom work that you have prepared for us at La Jolla Community Church. 
What a joyful thought. What a joyful way to live. What a joyful way to serve and glorify you. May the spirit of the living God fall afresh on us today. Bless us, Father, as we shape up to be all that you intend us to be. We ask these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, La Jolla Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? We're enjoying our last few days of heat and sun out there today. I know the weather's starting to change. Well, I hope everybody is having a warm, wonderful October. Again, my name is Ryan Sylvia. I am the Director of Student Ministries here at La Jolla Community Church, and I just want to welcome you here to our wonderful church service this Sunday morning. First, I would love to draw everybody's attention. On your way in, you should have gotten one of these fantastic new bulletins designed by Josh. Uh, if you notice, a fun little bulletin, it folds right in half. If you want to tear that top half home, our hope is you take this home, you give it to somebody, just invite them to church, let them know that we've got this wonderful, awesome congregation here. We would love to have them join us. So please take that top half home. It's got a little advertisement on it. We would love for you to invite somebody. But this bottom half is what I would love to talk about today. See, on this first side is our Connect card. We at La Jolla Community Church want to get you plugged in. We want to get you connected and involved in some of our wonderful ministries going on here at La Jolla Community Church. So if this is your first Sunday, I would love you to take a moment, fill that out. Let us know how we can get you connected, plugged in, and involved here at La Jolla Community Church. And on the other side of that card is our prayer card. We at La Jolla Community Church believe in the power of prayer. We believe in coming together, lifting up whatever is going on in our lives, and bringing it to the feet of Jesus. So if you've got a prayer that you need some, just some extra love for, or you've got a praise report, something wonderful that God is doing in your life, please take a moment, fill that out, let us know how God is blessing you, or how we can join you in prayer in your life this week. With that, there are also some offering envelopes in the seat backs in front of you, and you can drop off your prayer and connect card along with that offering envelope in the baskets on your way out, as well as there is a box mounted on the wall in the sanctuary, as well as if you're sitting in the, uh, the welcome center, there's a box mounted in there as well. Well, thank you all so much for joining us, and with that, I would love to invite Pastor Steve up to lead us in a message. Thank you so much. Well, good morning to you. Glad you're here. Uh, if you are a pessimist, you're saying, where is everybody? If you're an optimist, you're saying, oh my gosh, fantastic. There's room for more. <laughs> uh, and that's why we gather every week, because God constantly tells us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through his people, hey, there's room for you too. There's room for more. Uh, and COVID has, 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 been, has been certainly a massive setback to the church, uh, especially in places where the church is already going pretty hard against the grain of the culture. Uh, Texas, I can tell you, Dallas hasn't had a lot of setback. Uh, but if you get out of Dallas or Atlanta, or some, of the folk, or some of the places where it seems like the church is always packed, uh, uh, and a little bit further out, uh, it's, it's a wonder that the church has survived COVID. Now, there's a reason the church is, is packed in some places. Uh, years ago, um, I was in Ireland, and I was uh, talking to a fellow, and uh, it turned out as he was talking, he, he was talking about going to church, but clearly he was, he was also saying he wasn't a believer. And I said, well, why, is that, is that a pretty common thing here? And, and, and uh, he said, oh yeah. I said, then why, why do people go to church? He said, well, because they'll be talking about them in the pub if they don't. And so there's all kinds of social pressure uh, for us to align with the church or to align with the faith. In our culture, that's not the case anymore. You might have noticed our culture is fairly hostile. <laughs> 
toward invoking faith in any kind of setting where it might threaten the status quo. Uh, meet in your little churches, your shrinking little churches, and talk all you want about Jesus. But don't get in the way of this massive, wonderful moral tailspin that we're in. Don't interrupt it. Don't in any way get in, get in, in, in the way of all the things we're doing to undermine um, the idea that God has anything to say to us. Uh, and so this isn't, that's not a pessimistic view, that's a realistic view. And rather than be angry about it or resentful about it, I say, oh my gosh, we have an opportunity. We have a really big opportunity. In uh, 1954, the United States government uh, decided to put on every piece of currency, paper or, or coin, the phrase, in God we trust, uh, from Psalm 91. Some have remarked on that, in God we trust, all others pay cash. Um, but the idea was interesting. It wasn't just an Eisenhower reaction to the Cold War. It was somebody saying, hey, we, we talk a lot about God. Why don't we put it where we see it all the time? In God we trust. And though uh, every year somebody in Congress stands up and says, let's get rid of it, and I understand why, um, uh, I think, wow, you know, it's a great reminder that we still live in a world where it's really important to trust God. And if we, if we don't trust God, we can't thrive and grow. It's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple equation. Trust God, you'll thrive and grow. Don't trust God, you will not thrive and grow. Uh, we see this in, in the very beginning of the Bible, uh, past the, the creation accounts. You see God inviting a man named Abram to take him seriously, to trust him. And uh, I, I won't read all the passages because I want to talk about the outcome of that, but, but the, I, it's really important that we give a context what we talk about here. Because everything we do is rooted in history and geography. It's a unified story, and it has an immediate and urgent uh, modern application. We're not getting together to sentimentally reflect on the, the good old days. Uh, because if you read the Bible, you realize there were no good old days. There were always there were bad old days from the beginning. <laughs> it was messy. And God says to this guy, Abram, look, um, you, you, you live in what was then Iraq. Not then Iraq, now Iraq. Uh, you're living there, but I want to take you to a place, and I want to do uh, a fresh work in the world, and I want to do it through you. And I want to choose you to trust me, and though you and your wife are, are, are older and have not been able to conceive children, uh, I will make you a great nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed. And we see this in Genesis 12. And in Genesis 12, 12, if you've never memorized anything out of the Bible, memorize this, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. Uh, technically, it's in the context, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Hebrew prose and Hebrew poetry is always written in couplets. You notice that it's, it's two lines saying the same thing, or building on the one uh, that's said first. In this case, I'll make you a great nation, I'll make your name great. He repeats himself. But the real message, and that's why I boldened it, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. Notice it didn't, doesn't say, I will bless you, and you'll feel really blessed. It's, and by the way, I'll bless you, and you will be a blessing. This is how we thrive and grow. Why? Because I don't have a verse for this, but in, in Genesis then 15, uh, Genesis 15, 6, it says, Abram trusted God. Now his name later becomes Abraham. Uh, Abram trusted God. And it says, and the Lord credited it to him as righteousness. So you notice it's a relational intimacy that gives us standing before God. 
Notice it wasn't it. And Abram did a bunch of really impressive things. God was so wowed by it, he said, okay, fine. I'm going to credit you with righteousness. Abram simply said, all right, I'll trust you. How did, how did God know Abram was trusting him? He packed. He put everything on donkeys and, and put all of his herds and all of his servants and all of his family and that massive pack train, that massive, massive convoy, uh, that caravan of people left Haran uh, and went toward this land that we know as Israel. How do you know when you trust God? Watch where your feet take you. That's a good definition for trusting God. Are you trusting God? If you have any doubt, look at where your feet are pointed. Where are your feet taking you? That's what you trust most uh, of all. So as we talk about thriving and growing, we're talking really about discovering your shape, your shape. Abram uh, needed to discover his shape, who he really was. And it was a messy process with magnificent uh, results. Uh, but, but from the, from the get-go, uh, Abram's story is a cringeworthy story, uh, very much similar to ours. Well, Abram, I thought you trusted God. Well, I do. Then why did you lie <laughs> and say that this woman who's your wife is your sister? Well, because I thought if the guy knew he was my wife, he'd kill me to take my wife, and I thought he would just actually date my sister. Right, but you put him in jeopardy too because he was going to uh, take your sister as his wife, and then he'd have to face me uh, for what that was about. So now I'm, um, I'm angry at you, as is the guy you just, the king you just defrauded. And, and no doubt the wife with you is not having a good day at this moment. She's got some serious feelings that she'd like to express with you later in the day. Uh, <laughs> and, and if it's hot out here, it'll be really cold at home, I can tell you that, you know. So discovering your shape begins with trusting God. Are you trusting God? If you haven't put your trust in God, if you haven't said uh, in, in God's fullest revelation, God himself comes into the world and says, here I am. Uh, Jesus is the Messiah, the, the long-expected Savior of the world. Uh, we call, in Greek, Messiah becomes Christ. So Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah. Uh, Yeshua, Mashiach, that's the Hebrew part, and Jesus Christ is the, is the, the uh, Greek part. So that's how you trust God. You, in a sense... You, you pack up all your belongings and you start following Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus. And you, that begins a relationship where you are shaped and formed and you're informed. And this is a life-changing relationship. Uh, uh, one of Jesus' apostles, uh, John, writes in 1 John 5, 11 and 12, uh, this is the testimony, this is the truth. Um, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Do you have life or do you not? Have you trusted God or, or have you not? Well, I, I, I grew up in a Christian home. It's irrelevant. It's irrelevant in a sense of where you're standing before God. That's a wonderful thing. But have you trusted God? You just told me you grew up in a family that somebody trusted God. Do you trust God? Well, and I want my, my grandchildren uh, to trust God, really. Then when they look at you, do they see you as a person trusting God? I don't know. Well, do you say things and do things that would give them some evidence that you trust in God? As a mom and a dad, I want my kids to know the Lord. Really? What are you doing? What are you saying? What are you modeling that they would say, uh, yeah, my family trusts the Lord? 
And, and I trust the Lord, not because my mom and dad made me, but because I saw them as an example that I wanted to emulate. And in fact, they would pray with me, they'd pray for me, they would read the Bible to me, they helped me read the Bible, they, they asked me where I am in my relationship with the Lord, and when I was old enough, I realized I want to know the Lord too. This is the beautiful thing about this story. What started with Abram touches you. You would not be here today but for Abram. You trust God, because if you do, he credits it to you as righteousness. And what is righteousness? It's simply being rightly related to God. And, and Abraham did so many wonderful things, as did the Apostle Paul, several, a couple thousand years later. And if you said to Abram, or if you said to Paul, you are amazing, all the things you did in the name of the Lord, what would they say? Yet not I, but Christ in me. So he's saying a little bit earlier, yet not I, but Christ in me. Yeah, I did that. But because of Christ in me, the Lord in me, because I'm righteously related to him. And yes, when I sin, he gives me a new song to sing, right? When I'm tempted, he gives me alternatives. Uh, there's always a way out. There's always a way through. So this is the larger context of talking about what, is, what does it mean to thrive and grow and specifically to discover our shape. Like Abram, we have a unique, unrepeatable part in God's mission in the world. It's not grandiose. It's pretty simple. It's loving your kids. It's loving your spouse. It's loving your grandkids. It's caring for the people around you. It's, it's doing everything you can to extend God's grace that you've received to other people. That's the mission. It takes on all kinds of interesting forms. You might not be writing books or talking to thousands of people, but your mission is centered and rooted in this idea that God is at work in the world and we get to join him in that work, doing the everyday things that we do. No special equipment is required. How's that going for you? Or are you giving yourself a hall pass on that? Well, no, that's for Steve. Steve does that. Well, Kathy does that. I could never get up and pray. Well, at one point, if you'd ask Kathy, would you get up and pray? She said, after I faint and throw up or before, you know? But once you start doing the things that God calls you to do, you think, oh, I can do this. It's amazing. I can do this. This is a beautiful thing that, like Abram, we have a unique, unrepeatable part to play, role to play in God's mission in the world, no matter what age or stage you are in. God created us to know him, to love him, to enjoy him, and to serve him, and to serve others in his name, out of the very context of what we do every day. Well, I'm really busy with my job. Well, do it in the midst of your job. Well, I'm really, I never get out of the house. I'm with kids all day. Do it in the midst of your house with kids all day. Do it in whatever context you're in. If you don't see that as your calling, then none of what I say today will make any sense to you. It'll be irrelevant, because you'll be saying, this is a message for somebody else. This is a message for you. So he blesses us to thrive and grow in our fullest potential. What is your fullest potential? I can tell you this, you do not know. Nobody knows their fullest potential. You might have dreams, aspirations, fears. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, I'd love to do that. But we never know our fullest potential. Why? Because until we put ourselves in a place to have to do something, we don't know what we can do. Uh, if you don't believe that, that life is built on suffering and sacrifice, not on leisure and pleasure, you haven't been paying attention. Leisure and pleasure is essential for a great life. But it usually comes as a result of, in the context of, being willing to suffer and sacrifice. That's powerful, isn't it? It's not like, I love pain, or I'll impress everybody with my capacity to withstand 
pain, but rather saying, I'm willing to pay the price to put myself in places outside of my comfort zone that what was once uncomfortable becomes so familiar that I love it. It's a little bit like, as a kid, the foods you didn't like and the foods that you now like. I pretty much didn't like anything as a kid. If they put something, you know, cabbage, are you kidding me? Who invented cabbage? Whose idea was cabbage? You know, and, and if you were like me, uh, I bet you are, you sat at lonely minutes and, and hours at a table with some dad or mom saying, you're not leaving until you eat that. And, and you didn't know the language, but in your little mind you're saying, until hell freezes over, I will sit at this place. I'll be a small little skeleton at this table. And they'll come and arrest you. And they'll have a service for me. And they'll say, what did he do to deserve that? Yeah, it was about green beans. Same old thing, you know. The usual story, wouldn't eat the green beans. We let him die at the table. Um, but I digress. So ministry and mission, you've heard those words. Ministry and mission describe work that has a spiritual motivation and goal. That is, if you are in the military, if you are in the marketplace, if you are teaching preschool, if you're writing contracts, if you're building incredibly impressive homes or buildings, uh, if you are coming up with new technologies and you're doing it in the name of Jesus, not as you get to tell everybody that necessarily, but you're doing that, that's who you are, that's a ministry and that qualifies as a mission. Isn't that amazing? It's part of your ministry and your mission. I was with somebody recently, and they were showing me this, this amazing building they were building, and this incredible estate they were building for clients. And, and as I walked and look around looking at it with them, I realized this is out of the person's character. And certainly, certainly all their skills, they worked hard to perfect. But their character has been shaped by Christ. And so they see this as one expression of their ministry, their mission in life. It's, it's a powerful thing, right? The clients probably don't know, unless you got in a really personal conversation about it. So when our goal is to reflect the Lord in all we do, our life becomes a mission. And we start to discover our potential, we start to discover our shape. And things we didn't like to eat or do, <laughs> we start to love. And if somebody says, why do you give so much? Why do you serve so much? Why do you... I, it's funny, I didn't used to do this. I used to resent it. I was holding on to everything so tightly. It's my time, my time, my talent, my treasure. But all of a sudden, when Christ started to move in my heart and my mind, I started to see it all from a different perspective. And now it's, I can't think of a greater pleasure and privilege than to use whatever I have to honor, glorify God, and bless people. And I try to do it as under the radar as possible. I try not to call attention to myself. But if, if, if somebody does catch me in the process, I'll say, yet not I, but Christ in me. So this presents an urgent challenge requiring immediate action. I'm calling you to not a crisis. I'm calling you to an urgent situation. Our world desperately needs people like that. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't agree with me, I'm, 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 I'm surprised. How can anybody read the paper or, or, or read your phone or listen to the news or just see what's going on in the world and not say, dear God, this world is in serious trouble. Smart people doing very dumb things. Resources, uh, impressive, uh, going to waste. And the litany is long. This presents an urgent challenge requiring immediate action. If the church of Jesus Christ doesn't respond, who will? Because everybody who does respond will be doing it out of their own self-serving agenda. Their own virtue signaling, their own desire for control. Oh, no, I'll take care of that. Trust me. 
What I want is somebody who says, I'm serving the Lord. Because that's a built-in corrective to our pride and our arrogance, our selfishness and our desire for control. Because the Lord will hold us accountable. If we're getting out of control, he'll say, hey, what? what's that? Is this about you? I thought you signed up to serve people. Oh, I see. When they don't give you a lot of credit, you don't like serving people. You like serving people when everybody's giving you a parade. So will we trust Abram like uh, God, like Abram did? How does God want me to serve him? Paul says it this way. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. We see that in his letter to the Colossians. Um, a little, a little patch in the road with nothing on it nowadays, but part of what we know is Turkey now. That was a church. He says, so whatever you do, in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's your mission. That's your ministry. That's how God wants you to serve him. What will that look like in you? It won't look like anybody else probably. Or it might look similar, but it'll be different because you're you. You have a different shape, but all for the same purpose, to honor and glorify God. And so this attitude is rooted in our salvation. What I said earlier about trusting God, if you are not, to say I'm saved doesn't mean I'm perfect. It means I am being redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of his word, the encouragement of God's people to become who I was created to be. I was dead and now I'm alive. I was lost but now I'm found. Uh, And if somebody says to you, when were you saved? Uh, Don't treat it as a trite cliche that you go, oh brother, when was I saved? Just treat it for what it is. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of saying, when did you first encounter this incredible grace of God? When did his salvation start to make sense to you? Because that's the day you started to understand in a deep and, and, a, and profound way your shape. Because out of our salvation comes this attitude, I want to do whatever I do to the glory of God. And then that salvation shapes us through spiritual gifts, through having a heart for God having abilities that we give God credit for, for, for having a unique personality that expresses all those abilities and that heart and those gifts, for having life experiences uh, that can encourage other people. That's what SHAPE is. It's an acronym. For spiritual gifts, heart, abilities, personality, experience, all of it rooted in salvation. Without salvation, your shape is amorphous. You are a jellyfish. You're not a vertebrate. <laughs> you know? You're just floating on the tide of life. But your shape is what gives you the, the internal integrity and the external capacity to make a difference in the world. And so it's not a matter of, of crowing about how awesome your shape is. It's about saying, wow, I have a shape. How am I going to use it? And I want to touch on that briefly in the time we have uh, remaining. Because in this fallen world, leveraging your shape is mission critical. Don't dawdle. Don't postpone your life. Because as soon as you say, oh, this, this is really interesting stuff, I'm super busy though right now. I'm busy, busy, busy. Uh, then that's simply a way of saying, I'd rather, I'd prefer to, po- po- to postpone my life. I want to do all the trivial things first, and then when I get to run out of those, I, then I'll take on that serious stuff. If you know anything about time management, you know you've got to flip that. It's the Pareto principle, the 80-20 principle. We spend most of our time doing trivial things because it's too overwhelming to do the, the significant things. Uh, we need to flip that. We need to say, what's the most important thing I need to do right now? And how do I do that? And give that attention that it deserves. And everything else will, will, will happen in its own way. I, had a, I was privileged to have a couple of conversations with the late, great Peter Drucker, uh, the management genius of the 20th century. 
Uh, there's a director of school of management at the Claremont College is named after him. Uh, to this day, people still read and, and quote Peter Drucker. But I said, what, what should a leader do? And he said, uh, he has a great German accent, ah, yes, well, you know what a leader should do. I learned to say yes and learned to say no. Oh, well, okay, let me write that down. <laughs> yes and no. It's funny, but Jesus said that. Let your yeses be yes and your noes be no. And they said, uh, decide what is the most important thing you should do. I do that. Wow, let me, I guess it's on a roll now. Let me just, there's a book in here somewhere, right? You know. So this is what the Bible is telling us. All the stuff you're doing has its own uh, sense of, of priority and purpose and importance. Don't diminish any of that. Change the diaper. <laughs> but if you say, you know, I just have to be on call to change diapers. I can't do anything else. You're, you're, you're using something that's minor to, to deal with something that really is major. I'm going to change the diaper, and then I'm going to pray for this child while I'm changing the diaper. And then I'm going to think of ways I can help this child grow into the knowledge and love of God. All of a sudden, there's a larger mission. And I'm going to change diapers and feed them, protect them, pray for them, get them to school. And I'm going to do all these things to develop and nurture this child for this larger purpose. How did your kids, somebody said to you, how did your kids turn out so well? Well, you'd like to take full credit, but you say, well, they made choices. But here's what I was doing behind the scenes, this. So in this fallen world, leveraging your shape is mission critical. Spiritual gifts. Two passages, a lot of words here. Don't be overwhelmed by them. I'm just going to read them because they're great uh, foundational texts for this idea of discovering your shape. One out of Paul's letter to the Corinthians and one out of his letter to the Ephesians. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters. By gifts of the Spirit, he's just saying this Holy Spirit gives us specific gifts that are used to build up the body of Christ. So in this acronym SHAPE, they're the first things we talk about. You have spiritual gifts, different than your abilities, different than your personality, different than your experiences, uh, but expressing all those, right? Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be, um, I, I, I do not want you to be in, what? I do not want you to be informed. Somehow that doesn't make sense to me. I must have done something funky in, as I was writing this down. <laughs> Because it seems like it should say, I want you to be informed. Or I do not want you to be misinformed. I'll get back to later on what was going on here. But let's proceed, shall we? There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working. But in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Why was Paul writing this? Because the people were confused about what's going on here. And they were then priority, prioritizing and rank ordering the various gifts. If somebody got up and said in some loud voice during a worship service in a, in a language they couldn't understand, some prophetic word, there was a sense of, well, now that was awesome. No, but appreciate the guy handing me the bullets and I walked in, but that was awesome. And, and then misappropriating and misprioritizing what was going on because Paul's saying, hey, folks, you're making a big deal like speaking in tongues is a big thing. Mm, I don't think so. A beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit, 
But the main, I, he, and he later he says, I, I, I can speak in tongues, but I'd rather speak one word that people can understand than a thousand words they can't understand. Uh, in fact, at the end of this whole chapter, he gives all this verbiage about gifts. And he says, now, having said all that, let's look at what's really important. And the very end of this chapter is, I show you a still more excellent way. And he gets to 1 Corinthians 13 and says, it's about love. So you see where this goes? It, they're gifts given to serve. Uh, the, the, the word gift here is a charism. Like we talk about being charismatic, a charisma. There's something attractive about you. Well, these charisms are attractive. God gives us these charisms, and some are very flashy and very public. Others are very quiet behind the scenes. Administration is not flashy. It's essential, but usually not flashy. And so these charisms, these gifts are given for the benefit of the body. Why for the benefit of the body? To build up the body of Christ so that we can make a missional impact. And as people then come to know Christ, they receive their gifts and continue to make a missional impact as an elected leader, as a teacher of teachers, as a scientist. Who knows what? Now, then to the Ephesians, he says, uh, he writes in that letter, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Christ has apportioned it. That is, he's giving these gifts out. And it's not that I like you better, you get a better gift. It's more like, what do you need? Think of every parent's dilemma at Christmas time. What does this kid really need? or want that would really be important to them. And, and when, he, when a parent gets it right, it's a wonderful moment, right? I always wanted this. How did you know? Well, you've been talking about it for the whole year, first of all. And in that 40-page list you gave me, this was the number one underlined with explanation points. After. Um, but to each one of us, Christ is apportioned a gift. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. The whole idea is to grow up into our fullest potential. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let that sink in, as each part does its work. I have no idea how my appendix is feeling right now, but I'm really happy I'm not feeling my appendix. It's doing its work, right? Think about it, the autonomic nervous system. Think about the, the myriad complex systems working in parallel in you right now. Oh, there goes the synapse. Oh my gosh, that felt so good. Right up here, I had the synapse just a moment ago. No, you're not even aware of this stuff. It's just happening. And those of you who study this in depth are saying, I know, every day I go to work and it blows my mind. I get to look at this stuff and figure out what, is, what else is it that, that, that makes us do what we do and, and have the capacity to listen to music, to write music, to sing music, you know, all that. So the Holy Spirit gives us gifts to build up the body of Christ to minister to others. That's why it's so urgent that you figure out what your gifts are, because otherwise you're withholding something good that the body of Christ needs. You've heard the Pareto principle uh, you know, applied to organizations. 80% uh, of the work is done by 20% of the people. 
And somebody uh, has said, well, that's how the church is. The same small group of people do everything. Everybody else is just kind of free-riding. Well, that's, that's a travesty, isn't it? It's usually not true, actually. See, it's because the most visual, the visible and visual stuff, we think, oh, that's the work. There's a lot of people doing a lot of work that you just don't see. They're not the ones here on Sunday. They're doing something you can't see. So it's a misapplication, I think. But to the degree that it's true, it's a heartbreak because that means the body is underutilized. The body is underdeveloped. The most potential of every congregation is yet realized because people aren't actually bringing what they have to the party. It's like if you're having a dinner party with a bunch of people you love, every one of them, you don't care where you sit because it's going to be an awesome dinner party. And if two of them say, oh, I can't come at the last minute, it's like, I mean, I love all the people here, but I just miss those two. So anyway, there's gifts that communicate God's word. Uh, there's gifts that educate and motivate. There's gifts that elevate people, uh, leadership, administration. Uh, there's gifts that demonstrate God's love, mercy, hospitality, service to others. There's gifts that celebrate God's presence, music, uh, prayer, miracles, arts and crafts. All these beautiful expressions, right? You could categorize them. But the point is, uh, not to get hung up on a list, we discover and test our gifts by doing something, not just looking at a list. Oh, yeah, I did the spiritual gifts test. Well, it's not a test. It's an assessment. Yeah, I did that. Okay, what are you doing with it? Well, my gifts are this. Mm, how are you using them? I mentioned I did take the test, right? And then my gifts are this. Uh, yeah, we, I covered that. We covered that right up front. Thank you uh, for reviewing it and confirming it. Again, I asked the question, what are you doing with them? Well, I'm really busy, and you know how to go. They go, okay, I know. It's like the bane of being uh, in our modern world. Everybody is busy, and most of the time is doing important stuff. But in the midst of all that important stuff, don't forget the most important stuff. Yet not I, but Christ in me. So that brings us to heart, uh, and I'll make the rest of these brief. Those are the spiritual gifts. That's a, that's a big one because these are the things that we can't get access to, but for the Spirit giving them to us. Now, the neat thing about them is that they sometimes blend in, they sometimes blend in with everything else. Oh, I knew you'd be good at that. I knew you'd be a good teacher because you're a teacher. You can be a teacher and not necessarily have the spiritual gift of teaching. You can be a non-teacher and might, you might have the spiritual gift of teaching. So don't assume that your ability must immediately, oh, uh, you're a business executive. You must have the gift of administration. Not really. What I have is the gift of mercy. I want to go care for the poor. Really? I, I didn't put that together. See, so the Spirit is giving us these gifts. Now, the rest of this, the heart and the rest of it, the abilities, the personality, experiences, are now joined together. Remember, this is all rooted in our salvation. So let me just touch on the rest of them briefly. Heart. Everyone has something they want to do to bring love, compassion, and hope into the world. I want to build a better house, write a better algorithm, get one more kid off the street, uh, whatever it is. And so your heart is what you love and care about. Uh, it's what energizes you. I never felt more alive than doing that. So what moves you to sacrifice, to suffer, and to persevere in that? That will tell you something about your heart. Wait, wait, you, you spent all that money to go to Africa or Asia or Latin America or fly down to Oaxaca or whatever, wherever you went, and, and you spent uh, a, a couple of weeks caring for people who don't know who you are, won't remember you, well, they'll remember you, but you might not see them again. Why did you do that? Uh, because it makes me feel alive. I know I bring some things that really help them, and uh, I believe God called me to do that. Wow. 
Isn't that just spiritual tourism? Mm -mm. I'm answering the call of God. Wow. So this is what, what heart is about. I'm compelled to do it. Uh, I do it if nobody knew I was doing it. I do it if I'm with a group of people. Um, I'll save my money. I'll go without some things because I really believe this is what I'm supposed to do. God is calling out to your heart. Are you listening? You have a heart. It might be numbed because it's been broken uh, or you, you're heavily burdened. Deal with the brokenness and the burdensome stuff you got in your, that's keeping your heart um, underdeveloped so that your heart can be set free. That's heart. Abilities. These, these are abilities, skills, and expertise that you have. You might be good at doing certain things. Uh, you were born with some of them as natural abilities, uh, but even if they're natural, they can be further developed in you. Uh, your skills are essential in God's work for the benefit of the body. Use them. Well, just me doing this. Uh, it, we used to do these big VBSs pre-COVID, and um, Victor Guerrero would say, I'm not really a kid guy. All right, but you are part of the children's ministry team. I know you keep saying that, but really, I, I'm not into kids. Yeah, but Victor, when we do VBS, you create these amazing sets. You just take a bunch of stuff that nobody else thinks is worth anything, and you build it to make it look like you're in the line at TCA, and you're putting your baggage through. Literally, he did that. You go, how did you? It was like out here. You, look, you thought, did somebody steal something from San Diego Airport? Because we got a whole setup here. And, and no, that was just Victor getting some odds and ends and putting it together in a way that nobody imagined possible. And so you're part of the team. Don't make me be with the kids. You don't have to. No, the kids will not even know you've done this. We know, though, you're part of the team. Your abilities are so apparent. They have a spiritual leverage inflection point, right? That's what abilities are about. Personality. Your personality is how you approach and process life. It's who you are. Uh, it's important to take the initiative to understand this. There's a zillion and one ways to do that. The, the Berkman. Uh, if you have several thousand dollars you don't know what to do with, go take the Ber Berkman assessment. If you have 10 minutes and, and uh, you want to have something to talk about at a cocktail party, do Myers-Briggs. I mean, uh, if you ever hear Paul Mulford doing who's who in the zoo, uh, if you do the Enneagram, if you do any of the things that help you sort out what kind of personality you have? Strength finder. All of those are valuable. All of them are good. Why? Because they put in context for you the things that you are actually good at. And so these assessments are simply collecting data about you that you have so internalized you don't even see it anymore. And it puts it out there for you to go, oh. It's not to compartmentalize you. Oh, you're this. But rather saying, you know, this is how you identify. And we can see that in you. And so we've done all these uh, with our staff, and it's so much fun to say, okay, that's an owl speaking right now. Or that's an Enneagram 7. Or that's an, oh, that's an Enneagram 1, the rule-keeping person. And it's not that oh, you're, 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 you're compartmentalized and pigeonholed. It's thank you for being you because you call out some things in this group that we need to be aware of. Or if there's a pinch point, it's because you have two kinds of personalities that are bumping up into each other. And so it's not right or wrong. It's just, hey, how do we understand what this means to us. Powerful things come out of understanding your personality, taking the time to understand others. Experience. This is the last one. God uses all of our experiences to develop us into the best version of ourselves. I'm assuming most of you in life have had nothing but great experiences. Maybe if you haven't, if, if there's been something at some time along the way you've had a bad experience, God uses those too. Everything in our experience of life counts in God's economy. He gives us a story to tell and help us to leverage our experience to minister to others. 
we all know that if you're talking to some younger person who's going through a crisis or a fail, they don't want to hear how awesome you are and what all the things you've accomplished. They want you to find the appropriate way to say, you know what, I have sat in that seat that you're sitting in. No way. Oh, yeah, way. Did I ever tell you about? No. Yeah. Does mom know about this? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know. And you still graduate, they still let you come back to school, whatever the issue was, you know. Or it might be a tragic one. You go, yeah, I, I made this choice and I regret it. Two guys in prison talking. Neither of them are going to get out anytime soon. And one guy's going, I, I did some pretty dumb things to get here. Some pretty evil things. But Christ has met me here. I want to talk to you about what your life can look like, even right here. So experiences are powerful. Never, uh, never underestimate or minimize your experiences. Oh, just me. I haven't really done much. You being you, you have a story to tell. And so our successes, even, and even with our failures and weaknesses, uh, gives us credibility to influence, to mentor, to partner with others, to have a necessary perspective that as we talk about great strategies or tactics for advancing the kingdom of God, which is the Holy Spirit doing it, but we get to participate, all these stories come forward and we go, oh, okay, let's not leave that out. Let's be aware of that. So shape is a core element in personal and congregational health and growth. Shape, understanding, discovering, and, and implementing your shape is good for you so you can further develop as, as a person. It's also essential for the whole body of Christ. Why? Because you're part of a body. It's not just a bunch of individual parts. It's a bunch of parts under Christ ahead as a body. It's, a, it's so essential that you see yourself as part of a community, a body, not just a lone player, a lone operator, undercover for God. And sometimes God brings us into in, in partnership with some of the most unlikely people that we wouldn't necessarily choose to be in partnership with. And then only after we spend some time together do we realize, wow, this is why. We all had something to offer. This is what everybody loves about Lord of the Rings, watching all those hobbits. Hanging upside down in spider's webs going, what was that all about? Why did they even go, you know? And then later you realize, wow, they were essential to the resolution of this big story. So don't minimize yourself, don't minimize other people. Um, discovering and developing your shape will make you feel more alive. I can guarantee that. You will get to points you'll say, why am I even doing this? Why am I even bothering? And you'll try to quit, and the Holy Spirit will say, uh, you, you can quit anytime you want, but really not until I'm done with you. You know, oh, you know, okay, quit, sure. Go back to what you were doing before. Okay, fine. Understanding your shape will bless this church and everyone in your life and whatever church you go to. We're part of the church, capital C. We're just a church, small c, here today. We're part of the larger church. And when a person is fully developing their spiritual gifts, their heart, their abilities, their personality, their experiences, in the context of their salvation, wherever they go, they're a net blessing. I get so excited when people say, I'm moving to go to, I'm not excited when they leave, but I'm, I'm going to go uh, to this place. Oh, man. You're going to be such a blessing to those people who don't even know you yet. You're going to show up at that church, and you won't make a big fanfare about it, but you being you will be a net blessing. And they're going to say to you, where did you come from? How did you become this? You'll understand God's call in your life, which is simply blessing you to be a blessing. I love the way Howard Thurman, I don't know if you've ever heard the name. Anybody here ever heard the name Howard Thurman? Uh, one of the great... Uh, preachers of the 20th century, uh, look him up, Howard Thurman, T-H-U-R-M-A-N. 
Look up Howard Thurman. The man was amazing. He was, he was a, a role model for Martin Luther King, for any number of pastors that I've known. And one of the things he said is this. Because people say, hey, how do I know the will of God? You know, what does the world need me to do? And, and finally he came up with this really, really wonderful way of saying it. He said, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. What makes you feel most alive? That you're willing to discipline yourself, to submit to authority, to suffer, to sacrifice, to, to forego uh, maybe some leisure time or sleep or whatever it is that you're, 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 you're having to make decisions about in, in terms of what will make you feel alive. You know it's so worth it, you're willing to go the distance. And every time you want to quit, you take a break and then start again, right? Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. That's Howard Thurman's wise pastoral counsel. So you'll see how your shape and your call is an answer to what the world needs. This little world called La Jolla Community Church, in the context of this little world called San Diego, in the context of this small part of the world called the United States, North America, uh, this small world uh, created by God for a very big reason, big purpose. It all comes together when we start to see that he wants us to be alive for him. So Lord Jesus, that's my prayer, that we would thrive and grow as we discover our shape, as we understand the contours of it, as we understand uh, the factors, the, the elements of it that give us the shape that we have. May we be instrumental, not only in using our shape to glorify you and bless people, but in helping other people uh, discover and appreciate and use wisely their shape as well. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Well, uh, let's continue worshiping the Lord as we, as we offer ourselves to him. Uh, we, we don't receive an offering. Uh, we depend on people giving. Uh, but if you want to give financially, give as you walk out the door uh, or give in whatever way is, makes sense in, in terms of how you like to give. You can give online. You can uh, send us checks. You can send us stock. Um, cold hard cash that says in God we trust is accepted. We, we, we're okay with that. But right now in this worship service, right now the offering is about you offering you to the Lord in the context of this final uh, wrap-up of, of music and uh, worship. Let's do that together. Trust in Jesus. 
Craig Stevenson is not here with us today because he and Melanie welcomed their second child into the world this week. Uh, Genevieve Grace Stevenson, um, and little sister Claire, I'm sure, is baffled, bewildered, and <laughs> having a great time saying, who is this person? And don't play with my toys anytime soon. Uh, but that's a wonderful thing to welcome this happy, healthy baby and, and mom and uh, family uh, in this new season of their life together. And thank you all for the fantastic yes. worship today. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Fantastic. Uh, if we can pray for you for about anything that concerns you, go out the door and right around the corner to that lovely prayer garden, and somebody will be there, and Kathy will be there to have a brief prayer with you about anything that concerns you. You don't even have to say what you want prayer for. Just say, pray for me. Uh, or if you know what you want prayer for or for whom you want prayer, say, I pray about this, and she'll do that. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or even imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for being with us today in worship. Amen. 